Um, I want you to open to Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, we've been talking about, what have we been talking about? You answer that question. I hope you know the answer. What have we been going through? Passover, but, but uh, that's, that's a specific piece. What's the general piece? The feasts of <laughs> the Lord um, of Israel, right? I mean, it, we've been looking in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 23 lays out how many feasts? Who knows the number? Seven. Josh knows the number. Uh, Seriously, you guys listen at all? Uh, seven feasts of Israel, and um, we've. What have we done? What, what have we talked about? First, it's not a feast, okay? So you can exclude this. We've talked about Sabbath, okay? We've talked about uh, Shabbat, and what is the second thing we've talked about? Okay. And the, the third. First fruits, you weren't here for that, which was ridiculous. The youth got that version. Uh, but we talked about first fruits. And here's the deal. Um, I'm not like trying to promo our website, but um, that is on the website, that first fruits deal. Uh, it's really important, actually, that you do catch up with that information. I don't have time to go back because we got seven feasts and what do we say, three weeks. So we're, we're moving fast and uh, need for you to... Uh, I can't just redo it. So that's online on the Fredonia Hill website if you want to uh, listen to that. We talked about first fruits. And in Scripture, there's no Easter. There's first fruits. And so we looked at what first fruits is, how it's uh, specifically talking about resurrection. Um, and remember, in all of these feasts and everything that we're looking at, we're looking at the fulfillment of them where? Where's the fulfillment? In Christ. Uh, what does Corinthians say? That these feasts and festivals are a what? shadow, and the fullness is where? In Christ. So, so we're, what we're doing is we're looking at the shadow uh, because we know the fullness, and so we're looking at the shadow going, okay, what did you say back here to your people to let them know that this is who you are, this is your, this is your nature, and this is who you're going to be? Because the, the deal is, how many feasts, we, this will be our third feast, okay, that we're going to study. We studied Passover, first fruits, and we're, today we're going to look at uh, uh, Shavuot, or Shavuot. I don't know how to say that one very good. Um, it's also uh, Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Okay, uh, this, is the, this is the third feast. And this is the last one that has already been fulfilled, which is crazy because that means we've got four more uh, that are coming that have not been fulfilled yet, but we know that are gonna be fulfilled where? In Christ, very good, very good. And so we're gonna keep looking at these feasts, looking ahead to wh who he is, who he said he's going to be. But this is the last one that we can already, like we can look back in our scriptures and see, okay, this is what you did uh, in, in the fulfillment of Pentecost. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, that's not right. Um, will you go to the, um, there's a schedule, like a, a table. Yeah, thank you. These are our, these are our feasts. Uh, and so here's what I want you to do. Just put your, the, your hand on the shoulder of somebody next to you and let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would um, be people who receive from you. Lord, I pray that this would not be a, uh, a time of study, 
uh, as much as it would be just a time of reception. Lord, that, that you would be the focus uh, and Holy Spirit that you, because we know that it's only you that can bring truth. And so we pray that we would be uh, completely locked in and desiring uh, your truth to be spoken, meaning that our ears are in tune, not with what I'm saying, but with what you're saying. And Lord, I pray that what I would say this morning would be uh, of your heart, of your lips. And I pray that it would be received, not in a place of knowledge and understanding, but beyond that, in a place of revelation. A place that, that when we receive truth, moves us from where we are to where you have us. And Lord, I just pray that as we put our hands on the people next to us, that we would not necessarily just be praying this for ourselves, but we would be uh, earnestly desiring this on behalf um, of all men. And we pray that over the person next to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, this is kind of the, hey, hey, hey. This is, this is the, the chart, right? And, and this just gives you a, a look at, um, at where things are going. Um, but we've, we've done Passover, right? The very next day, you can see the first month, 14th day, the very next day was the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So uh, we, we know that Jesus fulfilled this how? How did Jesus fulfill Passover? Say it louder. Crucifixion, right? The blood of the lamb, right, is what, is what rescued them from, from death. It was on this day, this, this day in, in the history of Israel when they celebrated this feast is the exact day that Jesus was crucified on the cross. And unleavened bread, this is when Israel is putting away all leaven, okay? So w- what they were doing was they're starting this time um, where they're, for seven days they were not to eat any leaven. There, there were even games with the, with the children where they would have to search the house and find leaven uh, and, and burn it and destroy it. So they were without leaven. I mean, even their pets, even, even the animals were not allowed to have leaven. Nobody within the household of Israel was allowed to have leaven. And what does leaven represent? What have, what have we said? What have we explored in Scripture? What does it represent? It represents sin. And so when Jesus, in Passover, when Jesus pulls out the unleavened bread and says, this is my body and it's got stripes and it's got uh, piercings, we know what he's saying about himself. It's unleavened because what? Jesus was without sin, right? And so this begins, uh, unleavened bread begins this season where they're going, or this, this um, time where they're not gonna have any leaven in the household. And guess what? The fulfillment that happened on, on this uh, feast, when leaven was being put away, what happened to Jesus? Where was he? He died on Passover. What, what happened to him the next day? Unleavened bread, he was buried. Why, why does this fulfill unleavened bread? What was Israel doing? The command over them was put away all leaven. Well, what did Jesus do in terms of sin? He took all sin on himself, right? He, what, is it, what does scripture say? He became what? He became sin who knew no sin that you would become the righteousness of God. And on that day that all leaven was being hidden away, uh, Christ, our Messiah, was taking on all sin and being hidden away in the tomb. I, I get, do you get the chill bumps? Because I do. It's like. And then the very next day, um, the third day, what, what does Jesus say he's gonna do on the third day? He's gonna rise from the dead. And on this day, uh, all of Israel was bringing in the first fruits of, of the harvest. 
And Jesus, and actually in the New Testament, we see that Paul says that Jesus is the what? He, well, that's vague. <laughs> Sorry, I get in trouble for that all the time. He says that Jesus is the first fruits of the dead. That, because what's, what happens on the, third, on the third day? What happens? Where does Jesus go? What does he do? He rises from the dead. Jesus is the first of the resurrection. And on the first fruits, what are they doing? They're bringing in the first fruits of the harvest. The very first things that come out of the ground, the very first things that were dead and now are alive, they're bringing and presenting to the Father. And what does Jesus do? He goes and presents himself. Come on. He goes and presents himself to the Father. We read this creepy scripture where on that day uh, that... Do what? Yeah, it says after his resurrection, men and like old saints get out of the grave and are walking around in Jerusalem. And I was talking to them about like, that's one of those that, uh, I'm referencing the youth when I say them. It's one of those, it's like, it's those hard verses and we're, we just like pretend like we didn't read it, you know. <laughs> but what, what's happening is Jesus, uh, if Jesus is the first fruits, he's also honoring the first fruits and Jesus harvests what? Does he harvest crops or does he harvest men? He harvests men, and so Jesus harvests, right? This is crazy. He harvests these, uh, these saints and presents them to the Father uh, as resurrected, honoring the first fruits. So he not only is the fulfillment of it, but then he honors it uh, with the Father, and, and it's just awesome. So that's what we've looked at, right? So we've got these three, and they're back to back to back. Well, then there's this, there's this time uh, of 50 days, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, what, what happens, okay, if you think about in, in the New Testament, what happens after Jesus comes out of the grave? We, we know that they go look for him, and an angel says, he's not here, he's risen. And that's like our, oh, well, you know, we love that for Easter and whatever else. And, um, but then what happens? Is that it? And then we just start reading in Acts, and Paul starts writing letters, and that's the New Testament? Or, or what happens in reference to Jesus uh, after first fruits. He yeah, he hangs out. Is this wild to anybody? <laughs> for 40 days, for 40 days, Jesus appears to his people and he teaches them. It says, uh, when, you know, you've heard the uh, phrase, uh, walk to Emmaus, right? When he's with these two uh, disciples, and they're not one of the 12, but they're these two uh, disciples, and he's walking uh, on the road with them. It says that he began with, with uh, the prophets, and he talked about Moses, and, he, and he, he explained to them all things that were written about him in this book. And then he opened their eyes, and they saw, oh my goodness, that was him. And he goes and he spends time with his disciples. This is the moment, you, you know, uh, Thomas, right? We know that Thomas is, what did he want to do in ter- with, with Jesus? He, w- he was very unbelieving uh, in terms of the resurrection. And so what did he want to do? He wanted to, he wanted to touch his side. He wanted to touch the holes uh, in his hands. And so Jesus presents himself to Thomas and says, look, man, it's me. I, it's me who did this. And so Jesus spends time educating uh, his disciples on the fulfillment of, of all that had been spoken about in the past. And then he tells them to do one thing. And he spent 40 days with them and he says to do this. What does he say? What's his last thing that he says uh, to them that he's going to give them? Not like what's his actual last words, but 
What does he say? He tells them to do what? He says, wait. Why does he tell them to wait? What's he going to do? Okay. He says that before he's crucified. He says, wait. Because I'm going to clothe you. Watch this. I'm going to clothe you with power from on high. And you are going to be witnesses for me in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I'm going to clothe you with power from on high. Now, they've waited 40 days. They've been with him 40 days. And he says, I want you to wait 10 more days. Can you, now, think about this. Think about the anticipation in, in that moment. Think about, first of all, you're still wrapping your head around the fact that I'm hanging out with a dead guy for 40 days. He's not dead. He's risen. He's legit. He's who he said he was going to be. And then he leaves. And so I'm still like processing what I've done for these last 40 days. But he said, I'm not just going, but there's something else coming. I'm going I'm to clothe you with power from on high. Now, is there any validity to what he's saying? Do they need more proof than the fact that he rose from the grave and came and spent time with them and then said, remember what I said earlier about this Holy Spirit? This is your clothing that I'm gonna give you and it's gonna come from on high, just wait. So there begins this 10-day period. And this isn't just like normal 10 days out of the week because here's what's happening. They are counting. It's called counting the Omer. And literally what Israel is doing in this time from first fruits, which they don't currently celebrate anymore. It's too obvious about resurrection, um, but it's here in scripture. They're count, it's called counting the Omer. And they're literally counting down the days to Pentecost. See, when the temple fell, and, and you're going to learn a little bit maybe about this this morning. Um, we have this awesome speaker that's going to be here this morning, but um, it's not, I'm not in there. <laughs> um, so when the temple fell, uh, Judaism became very much uh, controlled uh, by the rabbis. See, the rabbis were, they were important, but they were not, uh, not really central in, uh, in what was going on because there was a temple standing, right? When the temple falls, the rabbis kind of take over and, and, it, and it becomes very, very, very unhealthy, Okay, remember Jesus is standing in the temple and he says, this is all gonna go away. This is going to be destroyed. Well, it happens in 70 AD. And, and, and the rabbis take over uh, Judaism for the most part. And what happens is they begin to change uh, what Pentecost is about. And what's currently celebrated today, what they're counting down to, is they've calculated the seasons and try to figure out exactly when this happened. But basically what they say is that Pentecost is the celebration of the giving of the Torah. You remember when Moses went on Mount Sinai? Remember? And God speaks to him on Mount Sinai and then he comes down and what does he find when he comes down? Yeah, this is where, this is where he finds the, uh, the golden calf, where Aaron had, had succumbed to their, uh, their pleading and he had made for them this, this golden calf. And 3,000 men die on that day. And God executes 3,000 for that. And um, they, This is the celebration now. So for Pentecost, there's this countdown. And on the night before, Jews will stay up the whole night before. It's kind of like our, uh, you know, what do we do? Uh, what's it called? New Year's. 
You know, we like stay up and it's like, oh, 10, 9, you know, we do, we do all that thing. Well, this is what they do, but they don't watch movies and do whatever we do. I don't, I don't know what you do, but uh, I don't want to know. But um, <laughs> they're studying the Torah. They're reading the Torah. Because on Pentecost is, is a day when they'll read from Ezekiel and they'll read from, um, from Ruth and they will celebrate on Pentecost God giving them the Torah. But let's look, at, let's look at how Pentecost was described. You're in Leviticus 23? Yes? Okay. And start in verse 15. He says, You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath... From the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. I'm in verse 15, now to 16. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Along with the bread, you shall present seven one-year-old male lambs without defect and a bull of the herd and two rams. They are to be a burnt offering to the Lord with the grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering by fire and a soothing, uh, a soothing aroma to the Lord. So here's the way this would go. Before the temple went down uh, in 70 AD, here's the way this would be celebrated. This, this 50 days, if you can kind of figure up, 50 days from this point is some, sometime in June, right? And in June, what, what's being, it's, it's in terms of the harvest, because these are farmers, right? This, this is what, this is an agrarian society, okay? So these are farmers. And what's happening is at this point, they're, the wheat, the summer wheat is coming up. And so what they're doing is, remember the very first uh, fruits of the harvest were already, were already sacrificed. Okay, they've already brought those in. That's the very first thing that came out of the ground after, uh, after the winter. This is kind of the second harvest. This is when the wheat begins to, uh, to come out of the ground. And what God says is that you're gonna get two loaves. And here's a funny thing. What, what did you notice about those loaves? Anything, anything that stuck out at you about those loaves? They were to be baked with leaven. Now, this is interesting because we've looked at in these previous two feasts, three feasts, sorry, there's been no leaven anywhere. In fact, leaven has kind of been the enemy, right? And we've said, okay, leaven represents sin. Uh, and so all of a sudden we see this command in uh, Leviticus 23 and we're going, wait a minute, God, you want us to present something with leaven. And the way that this would work is the priest would have two, um, I don't know if we have, a, I think we have a picture. Do you see a picture on there? Yeah, will you go to that? Well, those are the next feasts to come, but I don't know how well you can see that, but just two like round pieces of bread. And he says, he gives instruction on how to bake it, but the priest would take these two round pieces of bread and they would walk into the temple. Remember, and, and first fruits, well, you don't remember, you weren't here, but first fruits, they would wave the, the offering. All of Israel would come behind them, celebrate. Uh, this is the same idea, is he's gonna go present this offering to the Lord. And so he would bring these two loaves into the temple. Uh, they would also sacrifice, we, we read of the additional uh, blood sacrifice that was to, to occur. And, and this would be the presentation of the first fruits of the wheat harvest, the second harvest to the Lord. So what in the world are these two pieces of leavened bread? And why does this have anything to do with what 
we read in Acts chapter 1 and 2 about Pentecost. How in the world are these connected? If leaven is sin, right? Do you agree? We, I mean, it's very explicit. I didn't make that up. It's in Scripture. If leaven is sin, then, then who is this, is this representing God? Why not? Yeah, because there's no sin in him, right? We know immediately with this, this command to bake with leaven, we know immediately that this cannot represent God. This has got to be something else. But there's two, and we know that, you know, this is another clue, okay? God, God is three. So immediately we kind of have these two uh, ideas that this is, this is not talking about God. There's leaven and there's only two. I want you to go to Romans. Nope. Hold on. Maybe not. You can go to Romans, and on the way, I may have you take a pit stop there. Okay. Yeah, keep going. Go to Ephesians. You were on your way. Don't get upset. I didn't make you go the wrong way. Go to Ephesians, and we're going to look in, uh, look in chapter 2. Before we read, uh, let's, let's think again. We've talked about harvest in first fruits. What is, what is the harvest in terms of God? What is he harvesting? What is he after? Remember, the harvest is what, what's gonna be brought in, right? What, what does God desire as the harvest? Jesus talks about it. Yeah. His people, right? We are the harvest. And it says that Jesus is the first fruits, and there's a harvest. So we, we, uh, we are in the resurrection uh, with Jesus as the first fruits, but we're the harvest. We are what God is after, okay? We, you know this. So when we're talking about, when we're looking at a celebration of the harvest, immediately we've got to understand there's something here that's going to be speaking about us, all right? In Ephesians chapter two, I want you to see this. But now in Christ Jesus, this is um, verse 13. You who were formerly far off. Now, stop. Who, does that, who do you automatically know that that is? Who was formerly far off? Do we know? Should be a clue right there. Gentiles, good. It's talking about you. I think all of you, okay? But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made, what? What's the word? Two or both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So what's happening is that on this day, they're presenting two loaves of leaven. If leaven represents sin and there's two loaves, who is this speaking of? Jews and Gentiles. There's only two, in God's mind, there's only two kinds of people in the world. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. And here's what he said about those two groups, that in my son, in Christ, they're gonna be one. And so if this is a presentation of the harvest, then what the priest is doing is he's bringing to God the harvest, right? And the harvest is what? 
The harvest is two pieces of leavened bread. The harvest is the Jew and the Gentile. And I, I, I want to tell you that, that we have, as a church, have been very, very, very uh, dangerously close to absolute abomination to the Lord in our theology to the Jew. And we have got to see here that in the language of the gospel, the Jew has not been cut off. The Jew has not been forgotten. The Jew has not been replaced. Here in this, in this very celebration, the desire of the Lord, the harvest that the Lord desires is both Jew and Gentile. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about his sheep. Now go there. I want you to see it. You got to see it. Jesus said it. Jesus is perfect theology. You need to see what Jesus says. John 10. Remember, keep in mind, this feast is about harvest right now, and we're going to show that it's about uh, something else uh, right, right here. It's about harvest in that he's bringing the harvest of who, who his people are, the Jew and the Gentile. But here's what else it's about. It's about unity. I'm going to show you this right here. It, it, we already read that a little bit in, in Ephesians. Uh, or where did we just read? Galatians? Sorry. Good. You're good. Uh, John chapter 10. Now, Jesus is talking about his flock. And this is the point where Jesus is saying, look, I'm the door. You got to come in uh, by me. I'm, I'm the shepherd of the sheep. We love quoting this verse. We love it. Okay. It's so sweet. <laughs> we look at this scripture and we're like, and we, we just, we love this. Uh, I don't know, this analogy of Jesus being this like gentle uh, shepherd and the sheep. I, I want to tell you, if you, when you go with me to Israel, you are going to see what shepherds really are like. And they are not cuddly people. They are not like this docile, sweet. They are the most rugged individuals in all of Israel. Israel is a desert, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a desert. It's rocks and it's, uh, it's a desert. Jerusalem, and it's kind of this oasis, but, but it is a desert. And these men and women literally live uh, in the desert and all that comes with it and tend sheep. These are not like soft, cuddly people. And Jesus is making this analogy and he's saying, you're, you're the sheep, I'm the shepherd. But watch what he says in verse, um, verse 16. Somebody read that. Read uh, 16 and 17. What, is he, what does he say? Verse 16, I have what? I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Who's he talking about? Yeah. Because in, in Jesus's ministry on earth, he's, he is uh, speaking to, right? remember, he's, he is Yeshua, right? The, the, the Jewish Messiah. He is speaking to his people. But while he's speaking to him, he says, listen, but there's also others. It's not just you because in me, there are others that are going to come. And in me, there will be what? Between the two groups. One flock. 
There will be unity. And here's what he does on Pentecost. He says, now remember this. So we've got the harvest of the Jew and the Gentile. And then we've got this, this unity spoken of by Jesus and, and, and several other times here in scripture. And then what do we know? When we talk about Pentecost, what do you think of? You don't think about Leviticus 23. I, I guarantee it. What do you think of when we think about Pentecost? The Holy Spirit, right? You think about this moment at the end of these 50 days where the disciples are waiting and the Holy Spirit comes and you kind of think of it as like this freaky, weird moment that we don't really know what to do with because fire's coming down and people are speaking in different languages and everybody gets it and preachers get up and say, this is what the church is supposed to be. And we're like, what? You know, like, I don't get that. This is a moment that we think about when we think about Pentecost is what? Jesus says that I'm gonna clothe you with power from on high and what comes on Pentecost? The Holy Spirit. If this is about harvest and unity, we already know what the harvest is. It's Jew and Gentile. And where does the unity come? Why does on Pentecost he bring the Holy Spirit? Why does the Holy Spirit then clothe all believers in that moment? Because guess what? The only possibility for unity is in the Spirit. Corinthians is laced with this language of unity in the Spirit. But here's what we've done. And I just want to be just really blunt with you. And, and I'm still unraveling it. I'm still asking the Lord, how did this happen? But we have, let's just be honest, we've forgotten the Jew. We have become so uh, focused with us, so focused with the Gentile. And we, I just want to show you something. And go to Romans. This is why we were going to be in Romans. But I want to tell you that the Lord has not forgotten his people. The Lord has not forsaken the Jew. And in fact, he has brought us into unity with them. And he says in scripture in Romans, I don't know if we're going to read it or not, but you should read Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. You, you should seriously spend time in Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. And let's answer this question. Has the Lord forgotten about Israel? In verse, uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, uh, I say then, has not God rejected his people? Has he? he asked the question. Because in, in all of verse 10, or chapter 10, here's what he presents. He presents uh, how Israel has forsaken their God. And what we do a lot of times is we read that and we read uh, here later in, in chapter 11, we read about this grafting in and we go, oh, okay, so that, that's what that means then. That Israel was bad and so God kicked them out and he brought us in uh, in order to do what they were supposed to do and now they are forgotten. Well, this is not true and this is not the language of scripture. God brought the spirit to unify the two groups because we are one flock in him. And here's what he says. He says, has God rejected his people? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars and I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is great, by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So what, and, and you need to read more of that. We don't have time this morning to 
just dissect all of it. But I want you to skip over to, to verse uh, 16. Sorry, verse 15. He says, For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the per- first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also, and the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you... Now, he's speaking, who's Paul speaking to here, right in this moment? He's not speaking to Jews, he's speaking to Gentiles. And so he says, you, we need to hear this from a Gentile perspective. He says, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant. And this is where we we should get extremely sober. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. It's not you didn't even do anything to do it. It's just by faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity. Those are funny words to put in the same sentence. Behold then the kindness and severity uh, of God. I lost my place. Somebody, where am I? Thank you. God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be, will be cut off. Verse 23, and they also, if they did not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what was by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. Do you see the language here? I mean, I, do we see the miracle that God has done by his son. It says that you were this wild olive tree and your nature was not to be joined with, uh, with the rest of the tree. Your nature is contrary to that. You're kind of this wild thing, this like anomaly uh, uh, olive tree. But here's what the Lord did is that in his son, he brought you into all the promises of Israel that you might be partakers with them. And his desire is that those who, have been, those who have been cut off, speaking, he's talking about Israel, would be grafted in again, would be brought back in. And we just, just answer this question. And maybe you have not ever experienced that. I'm getting some blank looks when I'm talking about this like uh, replacement theology stuff. I'm getting some blank looks. So hopefully that's never been uh, spoken over to you. But let's just answer this question. If the two loaves represent the Jew and the Gentile, and Christ came to make the two, the, the two into one flock. And on Pentecost, he gave the Holy Spirit. Then do we as Christians have fellowship and union with the Jew? And it's a fair question. Based on presentation here, it's a fair question. Does that mean we're Jewish? Does that mean they're Gentile? No, it says we're one new man in Christ. In Christ. 
in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. There is no, why did he give the Holy Spirit on Pentecost? Because there is no union absent that. See, here's the deal. Here's what we don't understand is that on Pentecost, these were not Christian people that were sitting around. Uh, this is, these are Jewish men that are waiting uh, for this celebration. Why? Because they were in the temple. It says they're all gathered in one place. It's because there was a feast coming up. Not because they were just hanging. <laughs> There's a feast coming up. And they're all gathered together in one place waiting uh, this moment that Jesus said was going to come. These are Jewish men. But, They're believers in Yeshua, right? And then the Holy Spirit comes. And the gospel, this is what's so incredible. Why were there there people from all different tongues there? Because it was a feast. Because this is one of three, there's three, the first three feasts, the, the people came to Jerusalem to partake in, the first three. So you've you've got men from all over that have come into one place. And the Spirit falls, and then men begin to speak the gospel in different tongues. So what does God do in that moment is that when the Holy Spirit comes, he equips all different languages and tribes and nations with the gospel. Because where are they going after this feast? Home. Home. And they say, wait a minute, how are these guys speaking these different languages? You should read the account of it. I don't know why we're not this morning. So finished. But he, he says, uh, th- th- are these all not Galileans? Like, these are just kind of dumb fishermen dudes. <laughs> and they're speaking in these different languages. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit equips uh, unity and sends the gospel out in, in different tongues. Um, and we are receptors of that moment. You understand, I mean, do you you see the significance of this? That it's because of the faithfulness of Jewish men, believers in Yeshua, believers in Jesus, that, that we are partakers in the gospel. They advocated the Gentile to be brought in in the name of Yeshua. There's this, there's this moment in history, and I, I, I don't know. I just feel like we're, we're kind of off a little bit, but that's okay. There's this moment in history called the Jerusalem Council. And it's when, when, when Jewish men all gathered, and they, they had to answer this question. Okay, are Gentiles going to come in? Are we going to allow this? And then not only are we going to allow this, but are they going to have to take part in the law? I mean, how is this going to work, the Gentile coming in to what is ours? How is it going to work? And the vote was, according to, uh, according to Scripture and according to um, to history that, that no, and Paul advocates this, that we, we don't have to complete the law. Why is that? Because the law was completed in Christ. That the law has been fulfilled in Christ. So the law has been fulfilled in Christ. And then Christ has been given in his fullest measure in the Holy Spirit. On that day where we see the complete harvest and unity of all believers. And here's the, here's the deal. It's not about Jew or Gentile anymore. It's about Christ. It's about Jesus. Here's a funny, we'll just end with this. This is an interesting note. Jesus' name in Hebrew was Yeshua, right? Okay. Translated from Hebrew to Greek to English, that name comes out Jesus. Okay. 
translated from Hebrew straight to English, that name is Joshua. Who is it that led the people into the fullness of all that God had promised in the Old Testament? What's his name? Joshua. In Hebrew, Joshua's name would have been Yeshua. Yeshua, right, in Scripture, leads the people of Israel into the fullness that all God had promised them, into Canaan, as a picture of what Yeshua, the Messiah, would do for us. Lead us into the fullness of all God has. Yeshua has done it, right? Anyway, interesting note. But um, next week, uh, we're gonna talk about um, uh, Feast of Trumpets. Can you go to the next one? This is what we've got left. We've got these four left. Um, and they're, they're in, in Christ, uh, there is fulfillment spoken of. I, I don't believe we've necessarily seen it all. Um, so we're, we're gonna see some cool prophecy uh, come alive in these feasts. It's cool how God writes down what he's gonna do before he does it. Um, and then he has us practice that so that we're ready, right? And he has Israel practicing um, for every piece that he was gonna do. Are you okay? Everybody okay? Okay. Okay. I just had to trust you. Lord, I pray that your truth that was spoken, I, I, even though I feel like, Lord, my, my tongue was so uh, con- confused and, and all over the place, I, I pray that you would bring... Um, that you would bring understanding and truth uh, from that because it's not my tongue that does that. It is your spirit. And so, Lord, we just thank you for the unity that we have. Uh, We thank you that under the name of Yeshua, there is unity and there is harvest. And Lord, again, I just, I'm blown away every time I see these feasts. I I just, I thank you that you have spoken about who you are, your nature, and what you are gonna do ahead of time, that you have had us practicing who you are um, and then you said, it's me. I, I'm here. I've done all of it. You know this because you've been practicing. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would be people that understand that and practice uh, your presence as well. In Jesus' name, amen.